Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for everything that you do in our life. For all of the testimonies and the reasons for the hope that we have, I thank you. I give you praise because you provide the right people at the right time. You give the right relationships that build and encourage. You set our course and you walk with us. God, I thank you for all of these reasons we have for hope. I thank you that as a church community, we could be at our tables and we could share those reasons because it is a reminder for those of us who feel without hope. It is a reminder that you are faithful. And so, God, I pray that our community would continue to be the community that encourages each other and builds each other up. I pray that as the message comes out today that, that we would be encouraged by it, encouraged by your work, encouraged by your standards. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, truly, the question today is, have you ever been in a position where you have to instruct other people how to do something? Where you've got to just, you've got to communicate, here's what you need to see happen, and then here's what's really happening. Well, for me, the first time that ever happened in, a, in an official sense, I was 17 years old and I was working at Tip Top Tailors in Upper Canada Mall in Newmarket, Ontario. And I, I, had, uh, I was given the responsibility of being the third key. It meant that I was closing. And at 17 years old, that was a pretty big responsibility, but I had two staff closing with me. And my manager, when he left, said, you need to rearrange the tie wall because it's a big mess. And we had this gorgeous tie wall. It was ceiling to floor, and it held close to 300 ties, maybe even more. And what they needed to have happen was they needed the ties to be color coordinated. Um, so that it looked like here are the black ties, here are the, here are the green ties, here are the yellow ties, you know, here's the ugly ties, they would go down the bottom corner. And, uh, and so we, we needed to do that, but everybody's idea of how to color coordinate the ties was very, very different. There, there was no right way, but in my mind I had a way that I wanted to see them done, but I delegated the task to somebody else and I explained the way that I wanted to see it done and when I came back to it, because I was busy working in the back, organizing stuff in the back, I came back out, and it was done very differently than what I had anticipated. It was as though I had said something, and then the person had understood something completely different, a breakdown of understanding. See, leadership can be that. Leadership can, can have these moments where you think that everybody's all on the same page and you realize as it plays out that there's a breakdown of understanding. And, you know, it's, it's really no one's fault. It's not like the leader did, did something wrong because whatever, and it's not like the people listening did something wrong. It was just that they didn't understand. So our text in, in Galatians today is Paul going, you have such a breakdown in understanding. You remember that the Galatian church is a church that is, um, that is set up for, uh, for saying, hey, uh, we're, we're going to go this way. We're going to put our faith in Jesus. But then there are traditionalists that are coming in and are saying, oh no, you need to do more. And so Paul was very convinced that 
or, or seemed to have been convinced when he left Galatia that, that they had the idea, but then these other people were coming in and saying, this is the idea, and Paul's saying, whoa, you just aren't getting it. This is the most drastic way. You know, it, it's kind of like <laughs> someone just said, uh, it's kind of like when I tell my husband to load the dishwasher, and it's not done how I envisioned it. But we do thank God that it's done. It just wasn't the way we wanted it, but you're totally right. Let's read our text today. Galatians 4, 21 to 31. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and one by the free woman. But the son of the slave woman was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born according to the promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. The one is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. Labor, For the children of the desolate one will be, no, will, be no, uh, will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as that time... Sorry, excuse me. But just as at the time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Wow. So, this is really, really important. Um, where, where, we see, where we see these this, this offensive text, and it really is offensive because the equations that Paul are drawing are actually, we'll, we'll see them in a minute, but Paul is making a really clear point here. He's, he's actually addressing these people who want to become more Jewish to prop up their spiritual rank, and they're looking to impress God. He's addressing these people who want to say, hey, you know, I believe in Jesus, but we need to do these things in order to really impress God, in order to really be part of God's family. And so Paul is seeing this problem, and he's seeing it as a problem, and he's calling it out pretty severely right here. So he says in verse 21, he says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law. What he's doing here is he's actually expanding the understanding of what is the law here, because oftentimes it seems that what was given to be the law was these principles of matters of way of living. And Paul's reminding the people, it's not just, you know, the the legal requirements written in Deuteronomy and Exodus and Numbers and Leviticus. It's not those. It's also the book of Genesis, The book of Genesis includes the law, so when we look at the book of Genesis, we see the story of Abraham. See, the problem that is happening here is a problem that says that that it's not that I want to serve God. 
It's the problem that says, I want to do what I can do to make myself better and right with God. It's where they're putting their emphasis and what they're putting their emphasis on. See, it's good news that Paul's bringing, but it's offensive at the same time because he's saying, I don't really care what you think you can add on to your faith. I don't really think it's a value here because you can't do enough to impress God. You're not going to achieve what you hope to achieve by pursuing the legal things, by pursuing the law. It's not happening. So Paul says, do you really want to rely on Torah? Do you really want to do that? Because we're going to take a look at what happens. See, the whole thing that goes on is he pulls out the story of Abraham and and the idea of we're going to make God's will happen. And, and what we see in, in the next two verses, it says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and one by the free woman. But the son of the, fr- of the slave woman was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Yeah, our church. Well, no, but they were born through promise. Abraham had reason to doubt God's ability to follow through. Abraham had reason to doubt God's ability to follow through. You know, in Abraham's culture, the entire culture is based on who you hand your clan down to. It's based on this, did you do well to your offspring? Did you make a name for your family? When you pass on, who is that going to? And Abraham had nobody, nothing. He cried out to God saying, what are you going to do about the promises you gave me? What are you going to do about them? Because because he's got a clan of about 400 plus people that he's responsible for, and he's got a guy named Eleazar of Damascus who's going to become the next ruler of his household. And it's shameful. And he's like, you promised me so much, God, and you are failing me. God, you're failing me right now. And here's the crux of it. And this is exactly what Paul's getting to here, where Abraham is in his moment of saying, God, you're not coming through. What is it that we do? Have you ever had a time where you felt that God was failing you, where he wasn't coming through? Maybe it was a time where you felt like God was going to provide for, for an, a, a, a significant need that was, that was coming up, and, and, and the date for the, for the need came up and went, and nothing happened. Maybe, maybe it, was, it was a time when, when you thought that something was going to come down the pipe for you, and it didn't seem to be coming. Did God ever fail you? For Abraham, God is failing Abraham. And I don't say that lightly, but I say that in terms of realism. When we read Abraham's story, we actually see it resolve quite quickly. Abraham was waiting on God, and he believed God, but God isn't coming through. I mean, we're not talking about a month. Abraham waited a month, no problem. 
Abraham waited a year without shaking his faith whatsoever. And five years. Abraham's going, okay, what's going on here? At ten years, they're laughing at the promise. And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's not going to happen. God doesn't do anything for 20 years. This is, this is God not doing anything. This is not a story of, oh, yeah, yeah, but we know that God's going to do it. No, you can't tell the future. When you're Abraham, you can't tell the future. That's like saying that there's a promise that we're going to be meeting together again, that we're going to be able to go to big groups, that we're going to be able to go to sporting things within a year from now, and a year from now going, oh, well, I guess it's another year. And then we go five years like this lockdown, and then at 20 years, we're starting to go, God, you're not doing anything, aren't we? Aren't we to a point where we're like, okay, God's doing nothing here. And this is where Abraham's at. He's like, God's doing nothing here. So here's what happens. God, Abraham wants to be faithful to God. So Abraham goes, God, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to help you out. Isn't this exactly what Paul's talking about? When we accept Jesus, when we accept faith in, in the faithfulness of Jesus, and we accept our inclusion, when we put other standards in the way afterwards saying, yeah, that's really lovely that you have Jesus, but you have to attain to this. You've got to look like that. You have to act like this. You have to become like us. When we put those external standards on, aren't we just saying to God, God, I'm, I'm going to help you out right now. Have you ever solved God's problems for him? Honestly, have you ever taken a look at the real situation and solved God's problems for him? Church people do this all the time. I'm a church person too. It's so funny. You know, like, I have a prayer request for this problem I'm having, and I come into my little prayer circle group, and, you know, we all, we all do it, and we're, hey, I'd like to offer this prayer request up, and, and then, and then you, my wife does, she calls me out on this all the time. And so, so, you know, we, she tells me this story of like, hey, this is what's going on. And me, I'm just sitting there going, I'm going to help God out right now. Valerie, here's what you need to do. Valerie's like, stop, you dummy. Stop. We're taking something to God. I'm not looking for you to answer my problem. You're not my Messiah, Rob. And she's right. Sometimes we go to God and we answer the problems so Val goes, just Rob, please, just pray for it. Okay, I can do that, no problem. And so, <laughs> that's terrible, it's not Rob God, it's Rob Good. Um, <laughs> and so, so this, is, this is what we do. Abraham makes God, God's promise come true. Look at, look at Genesis 16, 2. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. That was the promise, she's supposed to bear children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go, into my, go, go to my, into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. Any time you want to improve your position in God's eyes, you're becoming a slave. 
Anytime you're trying to do God's promises for him, you're becoming a slave. You can partner with God, and we're going to get into how. We're going to do that. But what Paul's saying here is when you want to try to do what God's work has already done, you're trying to add on to that, you are becoming a slave, and that is what's so offensive. When Paul says in um, Galatians 4, 22, he says, now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. And so, so we've got this, this one bearing children for slavery, putting a yoke of slavery around people's neck. What he's referring to is he's referring to the Jewish people who have come into the church of Galatia and said, yeah, yeah, you got Jesus, good for you. You're, you can be part of us, but really to be part of us, you've got to really be like us. You've got to be circumcised. I'm not sure if, you know, we're holding up the circumcision thing, and I really don't want to check. That's not really where we're going. But there's the whole, you've got to be circumcised. You have to do that. And then you've got to follow these feasts, and we've already discussed that in previous, in previous sermons in Galatians. We, you've got to do these feasts and, and participate in these festivals. And so from there, we are at a place where, where it's being put on. Oh yeah, you've got Jesus, but now you need to do more. Right? And, and that's what's going on. I apologize for using the word dummy. I offended a child. Um... That's what's going on here, where, where we see that people are adding to Christ, and Paul's saying you're going into slavery. When we apply that to promise church, when we apply it to how we raise our children, how do we add to Christ? Well, we do it in lots of ways, accidentally. We do it in ways where we say, well, you've got to measure up to this standard. To really be in, you've got to do this. You've got to make sure you're not like that. We write the do's and don'ts. When I was at the dinner table the other day, our family had a conversation about what does it take to be a good Christian. And the, and the list started coming out, and really the answer, and that's just nature, that's what it is. That's, we want to know that we're doing a good job. We want to have those check boxes to affirm us, to, to, to challenge us. And we're going to go into a reframe. See, Paul knows. Paul knows that Jesus has faithfully fulfilled the expectations of the covenant to Israel outlined in Torah. He knows that. He knows that the old covenant was totally taken care of. The law was taken care of. When Jesus on the cross says it is finished, that was taken care of. All of those obligations were completed in Jesus. And God knows and Paul knows that he is entering into a new covenant. The new age when all people all people are invited into relationship with God Almighty. All people are invited to become part of the promise. This promise that was given to Abraham. All of us are able to be 
included in this eternal relationship with Jesus. And this second covenant foreshadows the final. This second covenant foreshadows the final goal of what God is doing with humanity. And so Paul is pushing the envelope forward saying, if you get stuck in this old way, you're becoming a slave. And so this is the reframe. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and she corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with the children. See, God has has done work here where he fulfilled his promise, but he did it once again in his time. He used the old covenant to foreshadow the new covenant. And so what we have is we have, we have this old covenant people are now becoming the people of slavery. They're the present Jerusalem. They're saying we're going to impress God by doing our religious rituals. And that's offensive. But it's also true. Where now Paul is saying, you know, you Judaizers, you thought you were doing God a favor. And maybe us in our churches today, we think we're doing God a favor when we're trying to push people along in their progress of Christianity and saying you've got to stop doing that or you must start doing this. And we put timelines and expectations on people and really start to push it. So, this is, this is where we get to say, okay, what are we supposed to do then? If we're not supposed to become slaves, what are we supposed to do? We're not supposed to become pressures of legalism saying, well, that's a lot of pressure. Paul says these religious systems are expressions of humanity trying to do God's work for him. And we don't want to do that. It becomes, the ad- it becomes the exact same attitude that Abraham had. After 20 years of waiting, 20 years of waiting, he finally goes, I'm going to do God's work for him. And maybe there's an addiction, maybe there's a problem that you've got in your life that you're just like, God, take this from me. God, just remove this from me. There's stuff that happens, and you're just like, God... I seem to remember Paul crying out to God and saying, God, remove something from me. He never identifies what it is, but remove something from, from me. He calls it a thorn in his side. And God says, my grace is enough for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And so we see this. We see that God is doing work, but, but sometimes our religious systems are expressions of us doing God's work for him. It's a form of slavery. You cannot do God's work for him. Anytime you think that you should do God's work for him, it's slavery. See, when it comes to your progress as a Christian, when it comes to your work as a Christian, you need to understand that it is God who is developing you and changing you. God is the one who has been faithful in Jesus. God is going to put you in the right place. And God will lead you to live by the Spirit. Remember Galatians 3? It said, have you not received the Spirit? You think you can continue on by going on in the flesh? And Paul's really driving it home now. Saying, when you continue on in the flesh, by setting up these religious expectations, you're going into slavery. And you were born for freedom. 
See, we don't control the pace that God changes us. No external observation can control the pace. Nobody else can tell you what order things that God is going to change in your life. Nobody is going to do that in a better way than God. You can't eradicate your evils on your own. You have to do it by the Spirit of God. It's God who works. Okay, we do control something, though. There is one thing that we control in this peace. We control how often we run to Jesus and say, take my life and shape me. In our Christian life, we control that. We say, God, how often do I come to you and I say, take my life, shape me, Holy Spirit, mold me and make me, do what you will with me. I place all of my trust in you. I look to you. How often do you do that? Is it, is it monthly? Do you come to church on a Sunday and say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm supposed to do now. I'm gonna, on a Sunday, I'm going to do it. And that's great. I love it. I love that you're here right now. I love that. It, I hope this sermon makes you come to a place where you're like, right, it's not about me striving to do it. It's about me saying, God, do it in me. And so, so maybe it's weekly, but can it become daily? Where you come to the throne of, gra of grace and you say, Jesus, take my life and mold me and shape me and do your work in me. Do your work through me. How many times can you do it? Can you, can you do it hourly? Can you do what, what Paul challenges us in, in 1 Thessalonians when he says, pray without ceasing? Well, you can. And the encouragement is that God is graciously working inside of you when you turn to him. For it is God who works to will and to act in you according to his good purpose and pleasure. And so this is what we do. We come to God. We can't add to what God has done, but we can submit to what God is doing. And we can say, Holy Spirit, have your way. Take my life, and all people are welcomed and included. You're included. Not because you followed the religious formula. Not because you look right or sound right or stopped swearing. You're included because of Jesus' faithfulness, and your participation is to say, God, take my life and change me wherever you need to change me. Mold me into your image. I remember being at youth group, and I know I'm, I'm going a, a little bit long it's because our, our service was a little bit long, but that's fine. I remember being in youth group, and our youth group was a great place where I got to meet with God, and yes, we're restarting a youth group as soon as we're allowed. But I got to meet with God, and, and, and I remember my youth pastor playing music on a keyboard at the, end of a at the end of a sermon, and he's just playing. And I come up to the front of near where the music was playing because there were kids playing in the back, and I just wanted some time with God. And I got on my knees, and I remember saying, God, change me. I was like 16 years old. God, change me. Do your work in me. 
And now at 40 years old, as a pastor, as a lead pastor of a church, my main prayer is the exact same. God, change me. Do your work inside of me. Let that be your central prayer. When you're praying about your spiritual development, when you're praying about your life, let that be your prayer and see what Holy Spirit does. We're going to get into that. But look, there's a big change of pace right before we close. Galatians 4.30, I have to deal with it because it's, a, it's crazy in this culture. It says, but what does Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not inherit the, with the son of the free woman. Whoa, wait a second, I thought we are talking about inclusion here. Well, Paul is talking about inclusion. But he's saying that when people come in and add to Christ, when they're putting pressures on, when they're saying this is what needs to happen for you to truly be included, it's those people that they don't understand and they have no place in the work of Christ. You can't add on to what God is doing. And so if they repent and say, oh, wait, 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 I'm, I'm, no, it is just Christ. And they come back to Christ and his work and his faithfulness, they're included as well. But if they persist to say, no, you've got to do this, you've got to add on, you've got to do this, you've got to be like that, they're not getting it. Like me when I was telling the people with the ties, it's, it's got to look like this. It's got to look like that. And somehow, the people that were supposed to put the ties, they're not getting it. Well, the people who are pushing for rules to be added on to Christianity, they're not getting it yet. What it really is, is I am going to submit my life to Jesus. We, as a community, as a church community, are going to submit our life to Jesus. So can you do it? Trust God. Don't impress God. Trust God. That's inclusion. Anybody, and I literally mean anybody in our culture today, anybody who sees God's faithfulness in Jesus, and who by faith in the faithfulness of Jesus accepts the Spirit of God has full access to God. Anybody. And if that's you today, you need to hear that you have full access to God through faith in Jesus' faithfulness. What he did on the cross allows you to know that God is working in you. I hope you get it. Let me pray. God, you are doing a great work, and sometimes we want to help you out. Sometimes we just want to tell people how to be and what to do and what things they need to fix so that they can move along in their Christian life and development, but sometimes we're undercutting what you are genuinely doing, where you're creating us a heart, in us a heart that just says, God, I am yours. Sometimes when we put all of our expectations on other people, we create a religious expectation that says if you look like this, if you act like that, and if you sound like this, then God's going to be impressed with you. But really the heart that you're looking for is God, I trust you. Do what you will in my life. 
So as a community, I pray for humility. I pray for openness. I pray that we would be able to truly trust your work. And as we continue studying through Galatians, I pray that you would blow our minds as to the way you work in us. We thank you for your grace and your love. I pray a blessing on everybody who, who is at home. I pray that you would be with them, that you would comfort them, and that they would know that they are loved, missed, and included. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, Promise Church. Have yourself a great week.